Welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, where I talk to entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and all levels of success, from millionaires to the people who are just starting out and everyone in between. My objective is not only to learn about their businesses and goals, but about their challenges and fears as well, all with the hopes of helping them and you find a pathway to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so grateful and excited to have you joining me today for an interview with my friend, Ryan Snow. And Ryan is the number one best-selling author of a book called The Miracle Morning for Salespeople. He's also a sales leader, a business coach, and a teacher at heart. With over seven years in a classroom and several more as a business coach and mentor, his mission is to help people achieve extraordinary results in life and in sales through business, uh, through personal and professional development. Ryan led a brokerage to over $1 billion in sales in the last three years and over $20 million in commissions. And he has a new book out called Explosive Sales Growth in Real Estate, which just launched in April 2018 and discusses the mindset strategies and tools to help agents hit their sales goals. Ryan, welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. I actually remember going way back a little bit more than two years ago, I first heard Hal Elrod and read The Miracle Morning, his first book. Uh, I guess it was his second book, but the first Miracle Morning book. And it really launched me into this world of personal growth. And since I worked in sales and I saw there was a sales book, I'm like, man, let me get this Miracle Morning for sales. So I bought that and read it. And I remember reaching out to you just to say, you know, I really like the book and wanted to connect. And I didn't really know what the hell I wanted to say to you at the time. But then we met in person at the Best Year Ever event in San Diego a few months later and got a chance to hang out at John Broman's Front Row Dads Retreat and really get to know you. And I've always been just so impressed with everything you're doing. And I know we have kind of a a shared vision of where we want to go with our life and our families. So, so exciting to get you on here. But I know a lot of people listening don't know you or your story. So I'd love to start with a little bit of background, maybe share some of your origin story and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, no, love to. And just to follow suit, I've been following you for the last couple of years too, since you reached out and it's been cool to watch you. And I got to hear you on a coaching call when we were in John's speaker camp that day with Roman and it's been fun watching you as well. So yeah, cool. My backstory started uh, the same place as Hal, actually, back at Cutco, where I met John Broman and Hal and, and Berghoff and all those guys. And uh, so I guess around 2003, I launched an office for them. I was a branch manager, ran uh, what was one of the top 10 branches in the company. And that's when I got introduced to all those guys. And that's where Hal and I initially met. We stayed connected through Cutco. I kind of followed him as he jumped into coaching. And I was in his group coaching program a little bit later on. I was working as a classroom teacher. I had shifted gears and I had just started having kids. This is probably eight, nine years ago. My oldest is turning nine right now. And so I was looking for ways that I could develop more income and had to get back to the entrepreneurial side. I really enjoy teaching. And so I still do that at the workshop level, but it just wasn't paying the bills and providing in the way that I want to be able to provide for my family. So that's where Hal and I sort of reconnected and started talking about The Miracle Morning before it was ever a book. At that point, I'd been practicing it for about a year before the actual book launch of the original Miracle Morning book. And that started the conversation between Hal and I about the fact that I really liked the personal development side of it, but I wanted to see a a side that would dive into the business piece. 
And that's where we started having the conversation about a book series and starting the Miracle Morning for Salespeople. Uh, and that started me down a different path of coaching and training and speaking. And I ran a sales brokerage on the real estate side of that. I was a team leader for three years with Keller Williams, which I just left in November to go full-time entrepreneur, speaker, trainer, uh, author. And did, like you said, about a billion dollars in sales with 150 agents. And that's been the big transition this year is uh, switching gears again and leaving the company corporate side and and just going full-time with the entrepreneur side. So I could spend more time with my family and travel more. And it's been amazing so far. So yeah, dude, cool. con- congrats on making that big move, that big shift. I mean, I just did a, a similar thing. I left my job about six months ago to become a full-time entrepreneur, independent contractor. And it's scary and it's exciting and it's fun. But I think what you and I might have in common, I think, I like to think, is we did it the right way, right? Like transitioned at the right time, eased into it, doing stuff on the side, didn't just jump into something that we <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. But I want to go back to earlier in your story, because you, you said you started at Cutco with Hal and Roman and some of those guys. And I've had the good fortune of meeting and interviewing a lot of your old friends from those days who came up in Cutco ranks, you know, John Rulin, all these other guys who have just been really successful. And I think that that certainly had a lot to do with it, right? That's a great place to learn about sales and entrepreneurship. A lot of them launched businesses and things from that. You kind of took a different path because you went into teaching. So how or why did you make that shift from already being in sales and entrepreneurship to going into this teaching career when maybe you could have already gone into business or done something else? Yeah, great question. I had always wanted to be a teacher. In fact, right out of college, a couple of people from the high school that I worked at tried to get me to come back and teach. And I wanted to teach at that level. I like working with youth and teenagers. And I didn't feel like I was ready age-wise. I just felt like I was too close. I graduated a year early. So graduated college at 21. And for me, having like 17-year-olds in my class when I was 21 just didn't feel super comfortable for me. I graduated the year that 9-11 happened. So I had planned on going into more of a consulting type role in Boston, like all my friends had had gone into when they graduated. And so when I got out of Tufts in 2002, there was just nothing out there. And that sort of landed me at Cutco by accident. And I really liked it, but I found myself gravitating even still towards uh, the teaching side of the business. And that's why I ended up opening my own office because I really enjoyed running the sales training and, and doing the recruiting more than I liked just being out pounding pavement on the street selling. I was successful in selling right off the bat, which is what opened up the opportunity for management. But I've always found myself going back to that teacher role. That's interesting. And that's cool because I think in my experience, especially being in talent development uh, and things training in big companies is that so often people are really good at sales and they get promoted into those manager roles where they are now teaching, training, developing, and they're not good at it. They don't want to do it, right? They just want to be selling. But you established yourself in the sales role and then you went into what you really wanted to be doing, which was teaching and training and helping others. So I can see why you went into teaching. So you went back to get into teaching in high school and I can see where that was definitely not bringing in the kind of money that you may have wanted. And certainly if you compare yourself to some of these other people that were out there building businesses. But what did you learn from that teaching, that high school teaching experience that's helped you along the rest of your journey? So a couple different lessons that came out of that classroom. So I worked in a behavioral alternative school and taught middle school and high school students, right? So it was super challenging. A couple things that sort of stood out as far as lessons were one that people have to have a reason to implement or want to learn anything. 
And so getting to understand why they're in front of you in the first place is probably more important than what you can actually offer to them. Especially in that school setting, I could see that the biggest disappointment for these kids was when we, they would ask the question like, well, why do I need to know this? And a lot of times you didn't have a good answer. It was like, well, so you can pass this test so that you can get a diploma so that who know? I don't know, because the state says that you need to learn it, right? And that wasn't really a good answer. So that sort of shifted gears for me as I moved into other training roles as both a coach and a trainer in making sure to spend the time to find out from people like, why are they there? Why do they want to learn this in the first place? What's their goal? How can we help them get there? And I think that carried over into sales for me. It's the reason I was successful in sales, whether it was back at Cutco or when I got back into real estate. I have a really consultative approach that has a lot more to do with what the client's end goal is than what my own sort of personal goals are as far as a sales perspective. And that came from the classroom. Yeah, I was going to ask you next, you know, when you went into real estate, which is an industry where there are tons of agents out there seemingly for us on the outside doing very similar things, right? So it takes someone really talented to be as successful as you were. Like, What were the things that made you so successful in real estate? You mentioned the, the consultative approach. Maybe talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I think just coming from a place of trying to provide value, a big part of the business is listings, right? Because you want to be able to control the market and you want to have things to put out there in front of people to meet other buyers and sellers. And so listings are really the key to being successful in real estate. And so I think that a lot of agents get trapped on the idea of get the listing, get the listing, get the listing. And clients don't want to talk about listings because nobody wants to sell their house. Nobody wants to pack. Nobody wants to move. Nobody wants to paint. Nobody wants to hire someone to come in and do work. And so the preparation of selling the house is the worst part of the deal. What everybody wants to talk about is where they're going next, why they're excited, right? The new job or the bigger house or the smaller house all laid out on one floor exactly the way they wanted or the new location that they want to live in that's warmer and nicer. And so I spent more time with people talking about the buy side because if they got excited about it and they were emotional, excited about it, then the listings I was just matter of factly going to happen because that was a step in the process of helping them to get to where they wanted. So that was one thing I think that stood out that was a little different for me that most people probably still don't do. The other piece is just, I wasn't afraid to call people and reach out and stay in contact with people because I knew I was providing value. Right. So because I knew I was providing value, I didn't hesitate to pick up the phone. I didn't hesitate to knock on somebody's door. I was going to come from contribution. I wasn't going to try and push somebody into something that they didn't want. You can't really do that in real estate anyway. Nobody buys a $750,000 house because you told them they should. So that was the best part about being in, in real estate sales is I didn't have to worry about pushing somebody in anything. I was only going to help them do what they wanted to do and help them accomplish their own goals. And most people don't say no to that. Yeah. So it was really the kind of the tenacity and the persistence to keep in touch with people, keep talking to people, stay in front of them, have conversations, build relationships and not initially push them into something, but know that they're eventually going to make a move, right? They're eventually going to buy a house and you're, you're the one that's been adding value and you're going to help them. Yeah. And I rarely even ask for anything. Like I, I, I talk about things that I want, but I rarely ask people for anything. Like even when it comes to referrals, people will talk a lot about asking for referrals. I never ask for referrals. I just talk about referrals a lot. Hmm. So like even off the bat, I will mention if somebody was referred to me from somebody, I'll just talk about the fact that, Hey, I'm really glad that this person referred you and they've been so great at helping me grow my business and whatever, but I won't necessarily ask the other person for referrals. I'll just let them know how important it is to my business by talking about the other person who referred them. 
That's interesting because uh, certainly many sales leaders will tell you that, hey, you've got to ask for referrals. Like that's where you get a lot of business. And if you don't ask, they'll never give it to you. Uh, but you take the, a different tack that you just kind of subtly mention it. And that if they're excited about it enough, they'll make the referral. Yeah, I don't know how subtle it is. I mean, I, I intentionally mention it a lot. <laughs> okay. But uh, I just feel like if you're, call, if you're always calling somebody up and asking them for something, mm. then eventually they want to avoid your phone call. And if you're yeah. always calling somebody up and asking them how you can help them or what you can do for them or right. uh, just trying to add value, then they're going to be looking for your phone call. So yeah. uh, my approach has been, I would say, not necessarily subtle, but just less of an ask. Yeah. Okay. Going back to what you said about nobody wants to sell their house. They want to talk about the next step, right? You want to get them excited about the process. How do you translate that to sales training, sales education outside of real estate? So any sales, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's more about the excitement of where the end result, right? So like, what's the end result that they're looking for? And then once we get them talking about that, what that looks like, and then sort of help them become part of the process and answering, well, how do we get from where we are now to where you want to be? Yep. And then it's like, okay, well, two things come up at that point. Either A, what I have to offer you can't help you. So let me see if I can connect you with somebody else who can. Or B, hey, let's talk about how what I have right here can actually help move you from where you are right now to where you just said you were really excited to go. And if your product or service or whatever it is that you're selling at that point can help them get to where they just said that they wanted to go, then it's really hard to say no at that point, right? You're going to look for ways to make it happen as opposed to a reason to get out of saying yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've, you've uncovered exactly what their goal is and where they want to get to and you have the vehicle to get them there, then yeah, like you said, it's, it's hard to say no. And I was thinking about, you know, I'm in consulting and I do some coaching as well. And what I've learned about having those conversations with prospective clients is that if you just end the conversation, you know, you talk about what coaching looks like and their goals and everything and you end on how much it is and then you leave them with that, then it becomes a decision about the money. And oftentimes people say no. And so what I've learned is it's so important to end the conversation on what's possible, you know, going back to what is their dream? What's the vision? What is that big goal? And how are we going to get there and get them excited about that? And then, like you said, it's harder to say no when you're sitting there having a conversation with someone about that big dream you have and they have the tools that can help you get there, then the money just becomes part of the process, right? It's just something that you have to pay to, to do it. Right. And you get them to commit to the desire to have that, right? So once we build that dream and say, yeah, here's what I really want. This is where we want to end up. This is what it would need to look like. And I say, well, if we could do that for you and we could make that happen in the next 90 days and all the numbers work and you can get exactly what you want, are you guys ready to move forward at this point? I haven't sold them on anything I'm going to do. I'm just, are they actually sold on making the move, making the transition, getting to where they want to be, whether that's in real estate or any other area, coaching doesn't really matter. They have to be committed to the process first before I'm going to bother explaining how we can help get them there. Yeah. Very cool. Since you mentioned, uh, we talked about Hal Elrod and the Miracle Morning and you mentioned you were practicing it even before the book came out. I'm so jealous. <laughs> if only I knew. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how that has impacted your career and, and your ability to go build a business. So how has that morning routine played a role in your ability to go out and, and build your real estate business and all these other things you've been doing? Yeah, I would say there's two things that were sort of the keys to my success. And you, you mentioned one earlier, and I forgot to touch on this piece, which is starting at Cutco and the fact that so many people came out of there 
sort of around the same time I did that have been super successful in business. And one of the reasons is because we were introduced to personal development while we were there, right? So that has been a huge component, I think, of why everything that I've worked on to this point, I feel like has been really successful in one way or another. And that's because I was dedicated to becoming the best version of myself. Uh, It was something that we were taught when I was 20 years old. And so for the last 17 years, that's sort of been my focus. What the Miracle Morning did for me is it sort of just gave me a way that was uh, a very distinct plan on how to make sure to continue to do that, especially around the same time that I started having kids, right? When it would be easy to sort of take the hands off the wheel and sort of let things go because there's so much going on between work and marriage and kids. And it gave me an easy way to implement. And I think that that's why Hal and the Miracle Morning has been so successful is that it gives somebody a really simple to implement plan on how to keep that sort of personal development piece a part of your life. And it provides a lot of clarity. So it made it really simple for me to make some of these decisions that would seem daunting and really difficult for some people to make. But because I was so clear about what I wanted, because I spend that time in the morning every day, it allowed me to develop a plan for how to get there. Like you had mentioned, we didn't just sort of jump ship and show up one day and be like, guess what? I'm an entrepreneur now. Right. We had to make sure that things sort of lined up so that we could set ourselves up for success. And I think that time in the morning every day allowed me to have the clarity and the focus and the drive to be able to make those things happen. Yeah. I mean, I 100% credit that to everything I've accomplished in the last couple of years all started with that. And I think, you know, you mentioned having kids and a family and it's just all the more important, right? I mean, we know really well that besides business, when you have a family, you've got kids, you've got things pulling on you all the time. There's always things to react to. And unless you take some time to act intentionally with your day and with your life, then you're just always reacting and you're never going to have time to actually think things through and plan things out, like you said. So it can make such a huge difference. This episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. At Advantage, we offer creative learning solutions that can help accelerate leadership development, business acumen, sales performance, and business results. Our clients say we're imaginative, collaborative, insightful, and fun. For more info, visit advantageperformance.com or call us at 415-925-6832. And now back to the show. So a few months ago, you made this big leap and you left the real estate world to go out on your own as uh, an independent consultant trainer. So tell me a little bit more about that decision because it sounds like you were doing really well in the real estate world. So why did you decide to make this move? I know you said it might allow you to spend more time with your family. Was that the, the driving factor or why did you do it? So there were two reasons. Well, there were probably lots of reasons, but two of the big reasons were one, the amount of time, right? So I was commuting about an hour to an hour and a half each way to the office every day. So that adds an additional 15 to 20 hours a week. And then on top of that, I mean, I've always taken whatever role I'm in pretty seriously and want to make sure that we're doing a good job. And so I would find myself instead of spending 40 hours a week, sometimes 50 or 60 hours a week and another 15 or 20 of driving. And I've got three little kids and so it was really the, the chase for the income, uh, even though the income was there and I was being paid really well, it just wasn't worth the trade-off, right? I was just trading time for money and I didn't own the company. And so it just didn't make sense anymore for me. I had gotten everything that I wanted out of it and I had given everything to the agents that I probably needed to give them to feel like I had 
accomplished enough there that I felt like it was time and I was ready to move. And so it just worked in that way. So I wanted to be able to spend more time with the family. The other piece was the part that I really enjoyed about the job was the sales training piece and the coaching and consulting piece of that. And I didn't need to be there to do that. And by doing it, I was only allowing myself time to work on with those few people. And so by stepping outside of that, I was able to serve a much larger audience. And so now instead of speaking to the same 150 people over and over and over again, I talk to a different 50 people like several times a month or a different 100 people several times a month or a few hundred people if I'm at a big conference several times a month. So I feel like my impact is much bigger now too. And it's freed me up to have the time, not only to spend more time with my family, but to focus and create passive streams of income so that over time, I'll be able to spend even more and more time with my family. And so it's created the opportunity for a bigger impact, more time with my family and focus on passive income. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And uh, I'm noticing a theme of family here, which is really cool. (laughs) I know that's really important to you as it is to me. And man, just talking about that commute of an hour to an hour and a half just makes me cringe. I'm happy to say I haven't had a commute like that in, uh, I don't know, 10 years. And that's intentional because I uh, wouldn't like it. Thank goodness, at least these days we've got podcasts and you can still learn and, you know, do like grow while you're on the commute like that, but it still gets frustrating. So, but, you know, a lot of people say I'm frustrated with this. I'm even willing to give up the money to have more time with my family, but I don't know what to do or I just don't, I'm too afraid to take this risk, but you made this jump And I'm sure you had a certain standard of living you wanted to maintain, which means you needed to go out and get business, get speaking gigs, get these training gigs to these, you know, be able to speak these conferences. So how did you go out and build that? How did you go out and find your first few clients and how are you finding clients now? Yeah. So I started actually while I was still working as a team leader. Um, And that would be one of my suggestions is if you're still in chase mode to get business, then it's probably not time to jump yet. If especially if you've got like, like for me, I have three kids and a house and standard of living that we plan on maintaining and a level that I want to be able to provide for them. So I don't think I would have made the leap had it not been that I had clients asking me to take them on that I couldn't take on because of the role that I was in. Right. So it sort of dragged me out into the role a little bit. So I started off initially doing one training a month. And then once those all booked up, I couldn't take anymore because I couldn't leave the office more than that one day a month without cutting into my vacation time, which I didn't want to do because that was my time with my family. And so once I started getting people who were asking two or three times a month if I could come out and train, I was like, okay, I can see how to make a six-figure income out of speaking and training like right away. And once that happened, I was like, okay, well, now now's the time that I can make the leap and I can serve more people. And even now with the training and speaking that I do, I travel one week a month so that I'm home three weeks a month. And I do typically three trainings in that week that I'm on the road. So that leaves me about 20 days of work that are not that, that I can focus on writing books and hmm. coaching clients if I want to, or scheduling trainings or writing blogs or whatever I'm doing to grow the business. But I actually have time now to step back and do those without me doing it on nights and weekends and Again, interrupting all the time that would be spent on family trying to grow the business. So that's what I knew it was time to make the leap when there was the ability to create the income I needed and free up a ton of time to be able to grow the business and expand. And now we're looking to expand and now I'm hiring additional trainers actually Hmm. to take on some of the trainings that I can't keep up with unless I want to go travel three or four weeks a month, which I don't want to do. Which you don't want to do, right? Right. Wow, that's so cool. And now you have 
this choice, good problem to have, right? So much demand and you're being, again, intentional with your time and how you want to spend it. Again, a lot of people would say, oh, the demand is there. I got to go out and meet it. I've got to build this business. They want me and then might leave their family behind, but you're being intentional. And also it reminded me of going back to business school. I took an entrepreneurship class and I remember the professor saying, this is philosophical, but so true, right? Like the best way to start a business is with customers in hand. And yes. you did that, right? You already had those people waiting for you. And I actually had a coaching conversation with someone just yesterday who was unhappy in his job and wanted to quit, start a business as a consultant. And I said, whoa, slow down. Why don't you wait a few months, build some relationships and have some clients waiting for you when you are ready to take that leap. And he was like, oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) And that's exactly what you did. It can take months to build, right? Like it was a year of me doing one training a month until I got enough testimonials and enough people talking about like, hey, this was fantastic. Like you should do this for these other people. And then those connections started to grow and develop to the point where there was more demand than there was supply, which is a good spot to be in when you're the one running the business. So yeah, that's fantastic. So now tell me like, how are you finding clients and what does that time look like when you're at home? You mentioned you're doing some writing. I know you've got a new book coming out or a new book that just came out and I want to hear about that. But how are you spending your time and how are you finding clients? Are you doing prospecting? Is it all referrals? Where's the business coming from? Yeah, so most of it at this point is word of mouth. When we add new trainers, we'll shift into a prospecting mode and start to use some of the the testimonials and things. That's what we're doing right now is putting together all the video testimonials and things like that from sales managers that we've done some work with. And so we do a lot of work in the real estate space, lending space, and then direct sales companies have been like our three big sort of wheelhouse areas. So there's a lot of room for growth there. There's a ton of people, obviously, that we haven't touched or talked to. And I've been lucky in that I've been able to sort of keep most of my trainings to the New England area so that I don't have to be like flying here and going cross country and whatever, because that makes it harder to get three into a week. So there's a benefit there. And we've been working with a lot of companies that have multiple offices, right? Like, so in real estate with like KW or Cobalt Banker or things like that, or with the loan officers, they might have uh, like 20 in every state, right? So what's cool is once you get in with one company, we've been able to go, okay, well, there's 50 offices we could go do this year. And we can maybe get three that are in the same state all on like within the same week. So we can one flight out to Chicago and hit three different offices on three different days and then fly back. Got it. So you're being really strategic with, you know, how you're scheduling these things so that you're spending your time efficiently, which again, a lot of people are probably not thinking about. So tell me about this new book, Explosive Sales Growth. What brought this on? Why did you decide to write this and, and what's in it? Yeah. So what brought this particular book on is the last three years working as the team leader and finding myself having the same coaching conversations over and over and over and over and over again. Sales in general tends to be an area where the top people in the industry are making the most money, right? Like the 80-20 rule on steroids, more like 95-5. And so real estate is definitely the same picture where you've got 5% or 10% of the agents making 90 or 95% of the income and everybody else is sort of just trying to scrape by. And I've found that sales in general, but particularly with real estate agents, that focus is not typically the key strength, right? They're really good at talking to people and they're really driven and they'll go out and do this work, but they don't necessarily have like a detailed plan about how they're going to do it. And sometimes they find themselves chasing too many shiny objects 
and trying out too many different things instead of just focusing on a handful, two or three things that would get them what they wanted. So the book is really about setting the mindset right, getting the focus right. And then we talk about 11 different lead generation strategies for how they can build their business. But we sort of coach them along the lines of pick two or three that actually fit your goals, uh, one, and then two, your personality. So actually pick ones that you could see yourself actually going out and doing the activity that's required in order to get the outcome. Don't just go say, I'm going to call for sale by owners because that's what my coach told me to go do, even though you know you're never going to pick up the phone and call them because you're afraid to, and that's just not your way of doing business. So it really guides them along the path of, hey, there's all these different ways to go get business. Stop trying to do all of them and pick two or three that you'll actually do, put them into a plan and launch yourself in the right direction. That's awesome. You know, I hadn't, I don't know if I've heard it put that way, but there's a lot of different strategies, a lot of things you can do. And people are always telling you, oh, you should do this, you should do this. But you've got to think about what actually fits into your goals and your personality. So some people might be more analytical. Some people you just, they need to be out there talking to people nonstop, right? right? Because you just have that kind of personality. So whatever it is, pick it that fits that. That's interesting. And are you now building, I think you mentioned before recording, you're building a course around this as well? So we're building a website around this to get some mastery level content in the 11 different areas that'll be free for people who read the book to be able to go to the website and see some of the interviews with some of the top agents. We're building a 12-week course around the Miracle Morning for salespeople so that when people leave the one-day workshop, they've got some follow-up if it's something that they want to dive into a little bit deeper. Okay, very cool. So thinking back to this journey you've been on and are still on, right? You've done some great things. You made this shift. You built your business in real estate. You've made this move into sales training. What's one of the bigger mistakes that you made along the way that was, uh, you know, hopefully something that you probably learned something from? Good question. Probably lots of them actually. (laughs) So I would say the biggest mistake I've made is being when I've been focused on money, right? When I've been focused on the dollar figure as opposed Mm -hmm. to the level of happiness and fulfillment that something was going to create for me. I probably went too far down the path in the team leader role and not having not thought about what I was giving up for what I was getting. Right. And there's been other times I would say that I've maybe done that in business where you take on the wrong client just because it's going to pay well, or you take the wrong job just because it's going to pay well. And it sounds like a good idea because what you can do with the money is going to make you happy. Uh, It's going to free up some other options and choices for you, but there's better ways to do it. Uh, And so I would say that I'm very focused now on what's the significance or impacts on all areas of my life as opposed to just the income area. That's probably the biggest shift. Okay. What's an example of something that maybe you pursued just for the money and it didn't work out that well? And I can definitely relate to that because I've done this many times. Yeah. So I don't even know if it's just for the money, right? It's just not (laughs) taking into consideration all the different things that are impacted. So like even that commute, right? Mm. Think about that's not my first time ever having a commute. I knew that two to three hours a day in the car would be a really long time in the car. I chose to move forward anyway. Now, there were a whole lot of reasons that I chose to move forward, not just income, but certainly that level of income and bonus structure and whatever was a driving force behind both taking the job and staying there. And it didn't necessarily serve all my other needs and wants at the highest level, especially family. Another area would be like just taking on a coaching client, right? Just because they can afford coaching with you, but they're not bought into the system and you're not really having a big impact on them and you don't really feel good about coaching them because they're not falling through. I just would rather not take that client anymore. Just because they can afford my hourly rate doesn't mean that I should be working with them. Uh, There's no significance there if I can't help them achieve their goal or if they're not bought into the program. 
Yeah, it's so hard, especially early on when you're trying to build a consulting or a coaching practice to turn those down. But I've definitely had that feeling, you know, where I was talking to someone and I was like, yeah, they need some help, but I don't think I'm the right person or I don't think this is the kind of person I want to work with. And I remember one recently and I gave them a very half-hearted pitch. Like, yeah, you might want to coach with me. And I'm kind of glad that they didn't because I just knew like it wasn't a good fit. And I probably, if I was smarter about it, like what you're talking about, would have just said, you know what? I appreciate this conversation, but I don't think we're the right fit. I think you should let me refer you to someone else because we're not the right way. But it's, it's hard to do when you're trying to build a practice, right? So how do you get better at that? Do you just trust the process or is there something that you have learned that, that helps you get better at choosing only the right clients? Yeah, no, I think I'm still learning that one. I think that's like a constant work in progress too, because you have to be careful not to turn people away who just aren't where they need to be, but maybe would be if they Mm -hmm. were coaching with you too. You know what I mean? We don't want to just say, Oh, well, you're not there yet. So it doesn't make sense. They may just not know what they don't know. Yeah. And so if somebody feels coachable, even if I don't know if they're the right fit, we may do a trial. But I think it's just about setting expectations with people, right? Like, hey, if we're going to move forward, here's like the set of expectations. And as long as those are being met, we'll keep working together. Mm. And if they're not being met and it doesn't seem like it's working, then it won't make sense for us to keep working together. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's the same with clients too, anywhere. It's not just in coaching, right? That's like in a real estate client. If I have a listing client that we were going to take on with the team and they initially maybe aren't on board with the pricing strategy that we have or the marketing strategy that we have because they just don't understand the market or where it's at. But then once we explain it to them and they seem like they're sort of up for the idea of trying out some of the things that we talk about, then we may take them on as a client. But as soon as we feel like we can't serve them, like they're just going to be disappointed in whatever we do. I would rather not work with them and refer them to somebody else than have somebody out there who's disappointed with the service that we provided because they weren't on the same page. And now instead of having somebody out there who may refer us business, we've got somebody out there that's disappointed in what we did and not satisfied. And then there's this like negative vibe out there about the, the company and the business and the team. And you don't want that either, whether it's with a real estate client or a coaching client or any yeah. of the above. Uh, that's good. I mean, it's good long-term thinking. And speaking of long-term thinking, I know I've had this discussion with you in the past. What is your long-term vision of where you want to get to, say, 10 years from now? Where do you want to be? So 10 years from now is like way out there for me. Right now, I'm really focused on the three-year. So when we first talked, that was like a five-year, right? My five-year vision was to be traveling and speaking and moving my family around with me and getting to show my kids the world. Hmm. And so that's been a little more clarified at this point. At this point, it's not just a vision. That's a goal. Uh, that's sort of been put in place that three years from now, we will be taking my kids out of school for a year and traveling the United States and Europe with them and learning through, yeah, learning through experience. And I may or may not speak actually during that year. I don't know if I will. (laughs) I'm putting some things in place. I mean, obviously some things have changed in the last two years that have opened up some opportunities. I'm putting things in place now to create enough passive income so that potentially I won't have to speak at all that year. Yeah. It doesn't mean I won't, but that part of the plan has shifted a little. Dude, that's so cool. So three years from now, you plan on taking a year off to travel with the family, educating kids along the way, and you may or may not be speaking, but hopefully you've built up enough passive income from the book and courses and other things you're building that will be able to pay the bills while you're doing that. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's the goal right now. 
I love it. I love it. Ryan, what are you challenged with right now? Everybody's challenged with something. What's the biggest challenge that's getting in your way? I think the same things that anybody that just made the leap is, is like, is this going to dry up? Right? Like what if all my clients went away tomorrow and they're just like ridiculous fears, but they still pop up no matter what level that you're at, they pop up along the way. So combating that constantly would be one of them. Definitely on the business side, that's probably the biggest fear. Like, what if my biggest client disappeared, right? Like I mentioned, there's a benefit to having a client that has 50 offices or 100 offices or 500 offices. But then if all of a sudden they're not a client anymore, you just, a huge chunk of your business goes away. So that's always a fear. And then the other challenges are just maintaining the balance of family life versus entrepreneur life and just remembering to pay attention to all the benefits of it and not just the challenges and difficulties. Yeah, one of the reasons you made the decision was to have more time with your family, but you could easily get lost spending all your time building a business and then that would almost defeat the purpose, right? So that's cool. All right, so for anybody listening who might be thinking about making that transition, I think we have a lot of listeners who are working and want to become a full-time entrepreneur at some point. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give or the, the thing they should really be doing first? Yeah. So I guess there's really three pieces that are really important. One, have some sort of like parachute, nest egg, whatever, and leave yourself a runway because it takes time. It doesn't just build itself automatically. It's not like, oh, I decided to be an entrepreneur today. So now all of a sudden I have a business and customers and income. So the runway is definitely a piece of it. Uh, Two, I mentioned earlier was make sure you have clients. Like you said earlier too, like make sure you have clients in hand. It helps if you can side hustle for a little bit in the beginning and make sure that you still have income coming in while you're getting to know those people. So if you're making the leap from working for somebody to going off and doing it on your own, like even if you can do one a month like I was doing or have one or two clients instead of 10, I think that goes a long way because you start to build even some of that social proof for yourself that you're going to need to be able to go out and get more clients. Uh, It also builds confidence for yourself. And the third one, and this is one that I didn't expect, is making sure that if you're going to work from home, that you lay out the expectations ahead of time with your family and your spouse about what that looks like, right? And that just because you're home doesn't mean you're home in the sense that your dad or your husband or that you're a house cleaner or that you're any of those things during the time that you plan on dedicating to work. Because it can be really easily misconstrued as far as how you're spending your time during the day when you're doing things like writing books or writing blogs or people don't realize all the unbillable hours, right? That go into developing the business, recording these podcasts, things like that. So I think setting those out and my wife's been like super supportive and my kids get it and whatever, but I just didn't expect having to figure all of that balance out. They were so used to not having me here that it was easily easy to like all of a sudden sort of over rely. Yeah, get excited. Yeah, get excited that you're around and want to spend time with you. I totally get it. And my wife and I both work from home, and so we've had to you know have those conversations and figure out what are the boundaries and who's working when and dealing with kids and all that stuff. But it's all great things. It makes for good conversations, you know, to work this stuff out. Ryan, this has been great. For anybody who's listening who wants to find out more, uh, where do they find you? Where do they find out more information about the book and the training and all the stuff you're doing? Yeah, so explosivesalesgrowth.com is the website explosivesalesgrowth.com. And I'll have a explosivesalesgrowth.com forward slash entrepreneur hot seat. And uh, that'll give them anything that we talked about during today's show. Also on Instagram, my fun Instagram name is snowpants1204. 
and they can find me on Facebook. There's a miracle morning for salespeople community that I'm in pretty much every day. And also there's an explosive sales growth community that I'm in basically every day as well. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've enjoyed following you on Facebook. I'm in that Miracle Morning for Salespeople community. There's always some great uh, conversations and questions going on there. So great to be connected with you. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your experience and your wisdom today, Ryan. It's been uh, good talking to you. Yeah, thanks. You too, Andy. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for all your help. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. You can find more information at entrepreneurhotseat.com or my personal website, andystorch.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you are looking for ways to take your life and business to the next level, you can send me an email to andy at andystorch.com. Take care.